Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. We've got an interesting show coming your way. Dr. and Professor David Schultz from the uh, Political Science Department at Hamlin University is going to join us. We'll take a look at uh, all the goings-on in Washington this week in politics and Man, when you look at uh, the president who was was siding with uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the top Democrats in the Senate and the House, respectively, there going to cut a deal on DACA. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, I guess that's not going to happen. And we'll uh, we'll talk about that. And is there going to be a big tax reform or type of plan that gets rolled out here before the end of 2017 we've got a lot to cover that'll be between eight and nine o'clock this evening here on wcco also joe tamborino is going to join us criminal defense attorney from kaplan and tamborino the more we learn about breath uh, beth freeman the, the the more you know i think our anger builds uh she's the person accused of uh, running over the state trooper who was picking up uh debris officer officer matthews and Man, you know, you just Google her name and the serious traffic violations, the drug history. It's a story that sadly we see too often. Careless driving, DWI, driving without a license, which at the time of this tragic incident, she was driving without a license. So we'll we'll talk with uh, the criminal defense attorney about that case and and so many others that are in the national news as well the slender man verdict that just came out today in wisconsin or late last night i should say but right now we'd like to pull into the conversation dr john huber clinical forensic psychologist we visited with him in the past good evening and welcome thanks for having me on moose it's a pleasure to be back again and uh, our our best wishes to your friends uh, in Texas. I know you're in the Austin area, but you've got a lot of folks that I think have escaped uh, from Hurricane Harvey up it, that far north into Texas to try to figure things out. Definitely, definitely. And and all my friends and family are safe, even their pets. Now there's home, home damage and stuff, but the important stuff is is all taken care of. Well, we wanted to reach out to you on the subject of technology and love and what's happening with the i generation which is the people <laughs> born after 1995 as i was reading into this i was like wow this almost reminds me of what's going on in japan where you the population is getting so old and they're not replacing or replenishing that population base enough to keep up with where things are trending it, you know it's it's literally going to grow old and and almost die out that's right 
That's right. It's pretty scary, but there are some positive things. You know, teenage pregnancies are down. Um, you know, transmission at teenage and early adulthood of sexually transmitted infections are down. So those are some good things. But when you start looking at the big picture, it's kind of scary. Well, I just look at, you know, the iGen generation when I was kind of reading up on this as well ahead of this interview. And, and I can also just confirm just in talking with parents of, of these kids, a lot of them spent their summer break this year and, and have for the past couple of summers now. We just aren't paying attention right. in their rooms. They, they just all they need is their smartphone and electricity and they're content. They are very content. And, you know, I have, I have teenagers myself, and uh, we, we set some rules for them to have electricity on, turned on to their computers and their smartphones and tablets. They had to give us so much time outside doing physical activities, uh, martial arts, fishing, hunting, those types of things, and uh, playing basketball. And then my son actually auditioned and got uh, a lead role at a musical here, and so that kept him busy for several weeks. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that the social interactions that they have with Snapchat or, you know, whatever oh. social media app, that, that you know, for a lot of kids is their life. I mean, it, it, they don't really spend any time around another physical human being. That, that's exactly right. And part of the problem with that, too, is when they do get to spend time with other human beings, they don't know how to socially interact. They, they've done all their social interaction on electronics with texting, you know, where your cell phone tells you who it is. When you're on Snapchat, you've got your username on there. So there's no courteous introduction and how are you doing and all that, you know. And so they just walk right past you. And it's really, you know, it's a big warning. I know I get, I get requests from local businesses to go in there and work with their staff because people don't even know how to answer a, a business on appropriately, you know, even right out of college. Well, when I'm reading things like this, more than half, 56% of 14 to 18 year olds went out on dates in 2015. But by comparison, Generation X and baby boomers, that number was 85%. Right. Right. Uh, and and it, it shocks me. I mean, you know, we we have, like I said, our kids, we get to see them interact, but in my practice, you know, the, the adolescents and, and I mean, just, you know, eight, eight or nine years ago, I was having people in, in my office, teenagers coming in at 14, 15 years old, young girls. Oh, I, you know, I can't wait till I have a baby, you know, and now it's like dating. Why would I date? You know, I, I'm at home, you know, on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it, it's a whole nother world, and it's it's scary because these are the people who are supposed to be going through and learning social interaction, and learning social skills that will help them as adults to be able to deal with tough situations, whether they become a police officer or a sales clerk, or heaven forbid, a president or a politician or a governor, and have to deal with people and actually make the world move forward. Well, I thought I also read where we're seeing higher instances of depression in these age groups as well. You know, that, that what they see as, as a perceived life, you know, of, of, you know, really coolness or whatever else. 
by their friends and and some of that can be so contrived and and manufactured but they they think that's you know something they're missing out on and and it's depressing well it's depressing and then they also sit back and see how difficult their life is and of their friends all they see are the perfect pictures that they post the wonderful 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 uh images of their vacations and their perfect homes and all this they don't see the troubles and trials that those individuals go through as well and they start comparing that to their life and it's not reality versus reality it's this presentation of the perfect parts of their life and you have to deal with your reality and those likes are much like saccharin you know it tastes sweet but when you need the nutrition that it provides there is none uh, nobody's going to come when these people are in their early 20s and make them chicken soup when they're sick, unless they're still at home, and then mom or dad are going to do it, not not their friend off Facebook or off Snapchat. You know, and, and the other thing that I read here that I thought was interesting was a study that came out last year said that the iGen generation, these people born after 1995, are the most conservative since World War II. They are, and, you know, you add that on top of that depression, and they see what's going on in this world, and that's, that's why a lot of these changes are happening. You know, they're getting out, uh, and, and ice, they're isolating themselves, and they start to think everybody feels exactly the same way. I mean, look at the, the race riots we've had, and the numbers are less than one-tenth of one percent of our population is doing that. So what happens then is... These individuals think everybody is that way when it's just, you know, a few people. The other 145 million of us get up and go to work in the morning, and then you have another, you know, 200 million that are going to college and going to school, and that that's the 340 million people there. And there's maybe 80,000 people that are out there trying to, to rock the race riots and, and wow. get people, you know, upset and the media is all they see they don't see reality sure well let's uh, i've got a i'm up against a break here when we come back I'd, I'd love to get uh your thoughts dr john huber clinical forensic psychologist uh, our subject on on technology and is it killing off love and dating and relationships and social interaction what can we do as parents and grandparents to try to help reverse this or, you know, get these kids that want to just spend their time in their bedroom with their Snapchat app or whatever is the latest, coolest app for social interaction just by themselves in their room. How can we get them to actually get out and interact in the real world? We'll uh, talk a little bit more about that here on the Esme Murphy show on WCCO. 721 is the time, 69 degrees. We'll check the complete WCCO weather forecast for you and see how the rest of this weekend is shaping up. Coming up here at 730, it's Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy. My guest is Dr. John Huber, clinical forensic psychologist. We've been talking about smartphones and technology, and is it impacting the ability to develop romantic relationships is it killing love is it killing social interaction you know when you've got the generation that was born after 1995 basically spending their summer vacation or summer off from school in their rooms with their smartphone 
what what do we do to kind of turn this stuff around? Because it is kind of, I think, scary. It's very scary. And I wish there was a magic bullet to, to just pull out of our pockets and say, here's what we got to do. Uh, I think it's a, a, a multiple attack kind of thing. You have to go out of different angles. One of them, as as parents that, that I have rules, you know, when we sit down to eat, we don't just turn the, the, the ringer down and turn the phone on off the table. You have to turn the phone off at our table. You turn it off. I turn mine off. And force your children to practice social communication, which increases the likelihood that they can actually talk to another human being to hopefully find out if they're somebody they might want as a significant other. The other thing we did with with our kids from an early age when they first got access to computers is we changed the password every night and made it between a 10 and a 13-digit number sequence. And we created math problems for them to do based on, you know, where they were at academically. And they had to answer so many math problems and then put the answers into end to have that password to be able to get into their computer the next day. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, it it didn't make them happy. But, you know, after the first couple of times, they just quit complaining about it and just would sit down and do their math. And it didn't matter if it was summertime or Saturday afternoon in the middle of school. So now, as I mentioned before, if they want computer time with schoolwork and things, they have to finish their schoolwork, but then they have to, you know, they have to pay with social interaction outside of the house. And I choose and I recommend to my patients and their families that they pick activities that make them use both their hands so they're not able to take that cell phone with them and do snap, Snapchat videos and hmm and selfies while they're doing it. We do martial arts between three to six hours a week in my family and every week. And then, you know, my kids have found the joys of of being outdoors because I got them out hunting and fishing. And right now, if I say, Hey, let's, let's go hunting or let's go fishing. They're ready before I am. They've got their computers turned off and they're ready to hit, hit the door because it's such an amazing experience. And I can tell you the sure. first time I took them out there, it was really funny because driving back, my kids were like, you know, Dad, that was amazing. It was so real-like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, it's not a video game. It is real. And uh, they they appreciate that. Wow. You know, so, that, I mean, simply I those, just, are, those are, you know, a couple of three things that I recommend doing. I recommend the family still try to sit down and do at least one meal together every day. Sometimes it has to be breakfast because so many of us work crazy, crazy jobs like you and I were on the phone working right now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing, though, that, that I've discovered and I try to do this uh, is I don't I get so much screen time day in and day out. I'm, I'm constantly working with the screen, whether it's on my smartphone or the computer in my voiceover booth. And I just I've got to get away from that. So I like reading analog books. I, I, I don't. Want oh, yeah. to read a book, you know, online or a Kindle kind of thing. I actually will just pick up. A, I'm reading a Carl Hyacinth's Razor Girl right now, and, yes. and just burning through that. But yes, we have a, a nice library at our house because I like the analog as well, so much better. And I think it's better for your brain. I think you know, not looking at a screen kind of helps it out a little bit from the standpoint of it's got to do something a little differently. Well, there's significant evidence that the more screen time you get, the greater chance that you are clinically depressed. 
And if you already start off with with some depression involved, then that can be really bad. Now, you know, we don't have a choice. It's part of our job. But mm-hmm. people who think that, that they're socializing on that, they're sadly mistaken. And it, it actually is making them more and more depressed. And the millennials right now, that group itself has the highest suicide rate of any previous generation that we've recorded that data. They're, they've mm-hmm. taken a four-point jump from the second highest. And that was actually, you know, the the baby boomers. They were they were at sixteen percent were were making suicide attempts. Now it's over twenty percent, and that's a significant jump, a major leap in the number of attempts. And wow. it, it should be a red flag. It should be a call out to start changing some of the things we're doing. But I also believe that that we're going to survive this. We're going to adapt. We're we're a very resilient species. We made it through Elvis. We made it through cable TV. We'll get through this. <laughs> hey, what, uh, as, as we get ready to kind of wrap this up here, what are some signs that people should pay attention to with regard to depression, you know, maybe setting in or starting to, you know, smother and suffocate someone, whether it's yourself or, you know, a loved one around you? Well, some of them are very much like adolescent behavior anyhow. But uh, extreme shifts in mood, being irritable, uh, isolation, which they're doing on their cell phones and computers already, uh, but withdrawing. When you say, hey, you know, let's go do something that, you know, with the movies or whatever, something that your kids used to enjoy doing, like, nah, uh-uh. well, those are big, big red flags. And then, of course, some of them actually do. And I, I have them in my office and actually... Uh, my, my kids interact with people on the phone or on their, on their computers and social media and have said, dad, something's wrong with this person. And we've actually, you know, gotten a hold of their parents and, and they were depressed and they got help. Uh, but the thing that they were saying was, you know, I don't even know if, 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 you know, life is worth living. They started saying, Hey, maybe, maybe I should be gone and not here. Those are big red flags. Get help, take them to the emergency room, get them in to see a therapist. A lot of us are afraid to do that. So pick up the phone and call your, your school counselor and, and have them touch base with your kids. Wow. It's always fun uh, catching up with you. And uh, like I said, this latest subject that just came up here with regard to technology and and killing love. And, and, and the other day I was coming across articles of uh, several stories on the Internet of uh they're actually building dolls that people interact with now. And I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's, that's really, that, that just creeps me out. You know, that, that that's better companionship than a human being. Oh, Moose, there, there's some really crazy stuff out there. I, I got to interview a, a major researcher in artificial intelligence and some of the stuff that, that they're coming up with and that they're, they're, that already is functional and it's out there. They just haven't hit the marketplace with yet. Uh, should, should scare a lot of us. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. pretty scary. Well, outside of just the, the sexual aspect of it, you know, and, and the way they, they make the look or whatever, but just, yeah, as you pointed out, the, the, the software that, you know, it, it interacts with these people and it learns and I'm like, Oh my God, this where, where are we going? What are we doing? We're getting rid of ourselves. And actually the, the research from these AI people are showing that, that artificial intelligence, you know, they start learning about humans and they actually, the artificial intelligent computer program is actually lose interest in humans and just start ignoring them at some point. Yeah. 
Well, it, it, it reminds me, I've got to go back and watch the movie uh, AI. I think, doesn't that have Haley Joe Osmond in it? That, oh. And, and, and the I remember the, the push against Mecca. <laughs> the oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, it, it, and, and, and I look at that and go, wow, is that going to be a documentary, uh, you know, 100 years from now? Well, I don't know. Blade Runner's coming out, remake. It might be pretty interesting <laughs> to see what they think. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Huber, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here on a Saturday night on WCCO. Well, thanks for having me on again, Moose. I appreciate it. Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. We'll catch up with uh, criminal defense attorney Joe Tamburino from Kaplan and Tamburino coming up here after we check some WCCO weather. It's been a pretty decent day today. What's the rest of the weekend and the early start of next week look like? We'll check in on that next here on 830-WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Saturday night in CCO land. Moose Miller in tonight for Esme on WCCO at 735. Joe Tamburino is with us from Kaplan and Tamburino, criminal defense attorney and, and so much more. Counselor, good evening and welcome back. How are you doing, Moose? I'm good. Well, I'll tell you, we got a, a whole plethora of uh, legal cases to kind of parse through here. Um, I was kind of curious if we could start off with the Slenderman verdict out of Wisconsin. I don't know if you caught that. Sure. Uh, Friday night, the jury came back, and uh, the 12-year-old that's now 14 years old, uh, one of the girls that was accused in that case of stabbing their friend 12, 19 times and then right. leaving her for right. dead in the woods, all to sacrifice up to Slender Man, she ended up uh, not getting criminal jail time but is going to be spending time in a mental institution, I guess, huh? Right, and it's it's very interesting in a number of ways. First, just how young she is. Uh, second, that I believe in that case what she did was she pled guilty factually saying that, yes, she did this, but then raised the insanity defense. And lastly, in Wisconsin, when you raise the insanity defense, the burden is on the defendant. The defendant has to show, hey, you know, they didn't know right from wrong. They were completely insane at the time. So, um they must have had really good evidence that she completely was not in her right frame of mind when this happened. And again, I think her age has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, as I've looked into this case, and, and as you rightly point out, the burden is on the defense. You've got to show that, uh, you know, you were insane or, or didn't, you know, have the mental capacity, I guess, to, to figure out right from wrong. But they showed a lot uh, to the jury of the interrogations by the detectives. And I I think that's probably what was the key part to that case for the jury. Oh, sure. And and again, that's where I think it comes in about her age. Because, you know, I mean, think about it. I don't know how old she exactly was when she was being interrogated, but she probably was about 10 years old. um, Well, she was 12. 12. I'm sorry, 12 years old which is quite a young age when you think about it, to be interrogated by detectives mm-hmm. uh, involving, you know, a, a murder case. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, I don't know how they exactly used those tapes, but yes, they did show them to the jury quite a bit. 
And, you know, for that jury, I think at first uh, they weren't coming back with a unanimous decision. And then uh, the judge sent them back. And, and you know, lo and behold, they it took them 12 hours, which I didn't think was a, a really long amount of time. But they did come back and render the decision that they did. Right. And that's part of the jury process that's so interesting is, and because it's a human process, when you get a group of people, 12 people who are trying to decide on a case or trying to decide one way or another, and they say, well, you know, we really can't decide it right now. Um, they don't give you the numbers per se, but they just can't arrive at a decision. And then when a judge sends them back, you always wonder what goes on there, that one side was able to convince the other side uh, to join them in the decision. I, w- I would love to see that in action. I've never been on a jury, but I think it would be fascinating. And I agree with you. The uh, 12 hours really isn't that long. I mean, some juries yeah. are out for days and days. 12 hours isn't that long. Well, and, you know, the the other factor, I think, it, it, more and more, especially from your perspective as a defense attorney, the people that you end up with, you know, on that jury in today's world, so many people don't want to be on a jury and they find ways to, to get out of it. And then you're left with, you know, is this really a jury of our peers or your peers? Uh, that that's so true what you're saying, because so many uh, jobs don't pay you if you're on jury duty. I mean, my firm does, for instance, completely the case two weeks ago my actual secretary was on jury duty in hennepin county and during the week that she was on jury duty and she was on a jury um we paid her of course but many Mm -hmm. employers do not if you're on jury duty that's it you're not getting paid and all you're getting is your 20 bucks a day from the county and so you're right that really calls the herd in terms of what kind of people are able to be on a jury. And yes, it will affect whether or not you're getting a jury of your peers. I remember during the tobacco trials in Minnesota that I interviewed one juror who lost his house. Oh, sure. I mean, that's, that's very unfortunate. Thank goodness it doesn't happen a lot, but yes, some people will become, you know, they'll, they'll be in financial uh, straits if they're, you know, too long out of work and have to sit on a jury. I wish it were the case that employers would have to pay or that juries would be getting, you know, more than just $20 a day for their service. Cause it's, it's a very yeah. important service. Well, I can tell you I'm, I'm self-employed and uh, you know, that, that prospect terrifies me that, you know, I'll get that letter in the mail that says, Hey, we need you to show up for jury duty. And, uh, my line of work that I do day in and day out, I've got clients that, you know what, we, we need, you know, stuff from you right now. And That's true. if you can't provide it, then, you know, we're going to go somewhere else. And then I lose that client for, I don't know, could be forever. And it, and could it be just, forever. and imagine the case when you have people who are on a jury for a month or two months. You know, it's different yeah. if all of a sudden you got a quick trial and you might be out of work three or four days. Okay, it's a loss of wages, but it's probably not going to be debilitating. But if you're on a jury where, you know, you start in September and it ends right before Thanksgiving, that is a huge imposition. Huge. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I, I 
certainly respect that it is a huge factor in yeah. affecting jury makeup today in today's world. Right. Uh, and, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, because that leaves, you know, people that don't really work or have real strong commitments on that end. And it also leads to maybe more retirees or people like that. So you've got two ends of the spectrum here on, on potential juror pools that, you know, there's a huge middle there of, you know, working America that probably just can't find a way to, you know, to be a part of that jury. Oh yeah. And it it, it also uh, affects people who are single parents. I've had, many cases where we would be, you know, questioning the potential jurors who would say, not only am I going to be out of work and I'm not going to be paid, uh, but I am a single parent and I have to leave this courthouse by 315 in order to make sure my kids are home. And uh, there's all these other considerations that come into play when you're on a jury. And yeah, unfortunately, it does limit the amount of people who could actually be on juries. So what happens in those instances? What do judges typically do when they hear responses like that from potential jurors? I mean, is it up to the judge to go, well, tough, you're just going to have to, you know, we're not going to rule you out? Um, Almost that way. That's correct. The parties, both the defense and the prosecutor, could say, let's have an agreement between the two of us. We're not going to force this person to stay on the jury. They're still going to have to get the judge's approval. Or the judge could say, you know, I, I don't think this person is going to be able to make it on the jury and ask the, and rule that they'd be excused. But many times, especially in Minnesota, from what I've seen, you will see judges rightfully make accommodations for jurors so that, you know, if a juror who is a single parent needs to leave the courthouse at 315, well, they'll try to accommodate that to make sure that they end the day at 315. Or you might have a juror who says, I could be on the jury, but this Thursday and Friday, I must be wherever that is because it's so important in their lives. So I think judges really try to make accommodations. And I think the uh, the litigants do too. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to uh, the case here of Beth Freeman, who uh, every time you learn more and more about her, you just you know, you want to pull your hair out and just go, how is this person allowed to be out driving on the road with so many vehicular infractions, the drug convictions, and it just, what a tragedy this is on on so many levels. You have a, a trooper who loses their life, and you have a person here who clearly has some problems. Uh, that's absolutely correct. Um, in terms of her driving. Now, remember, she wasn't allowed to drive. Her license was canceled because of her record. And she should not have been behind the wheel, period. I mean, there's no way of actually stopping someone who's had uh, their license canceled from getting behind the wheel unless you kept them in jail. But she had already served whatever sentence it was uh, for her drug case. I believe she was placed on probation for a number of years from that 2016 case, I think it was. So everything was in place for her to obey the rules. However, that doesn't stop her from getting some vehicle from someone and driving it, you know, when she supposedly has drugs in her system and is texting and calling people. 
uh, but she's facing a number of years in prison. I mean, someone with no priors automatically faces 48 months, four years in prison for this type of charge. With her having priors, um, she's easily going to be facing five to seven years, depending upon how many uh, criminal history points she has. On top of that, if she's still on probation for one of her uh, drug cases, she could that mm-hmm. could be counted. She could get extra time for that. So she's facing a chunk of time. Also, uh, another case here just in this last uh, couple of months, Michelle Carter, the young woman who was convicted of aiding her boyfriend's suicide. You know, I thought that was a, a pretty remarkable case. And, you know, this is somebody that was egging the boyfriend on through text messages and other social media messaging. Uh, she wasn't physically there, but, you know, this jury and, and judge found it that, you know what, she was culpable here. Yes, and I think that was a really interesting case because I've never seen that where someone yeah. in that situation who's not giving the other person the loaded gun or helping them jump off the bridge or something like that, she's doing it through electronic communication. Um, but, boy, they had really good evidence against her, number one. And number two, uh, she didn't come across well. I mean, she didn't come across well to the media. Uh, she didn't come across well, I don't think, in court. So she had a number of things against her, her own words, number one. And number two was how she came across, how she appeared to the public. And that that wasn't working for her. Sure. But, you know, when I look at this case and you look at, like, the Jack Kevorkian case, mm-hmm. you know, where he physically was providing the apparatus for people to, you know, self-suicide, that, that's a, a, a whole different animal legally. It is. It is a different animal for a number of reasons. Um, one is when when Mr. Kevorkian was doing that, uh, the people who were, were receiving his assistance were, from what I remember, all suffering from, you know, debilitating type of diseases where they weren't going to survive. And uh, mm-hmm. so he was he was assisting them with that. Uh, number two, uh, from what we knew, the people that he was that he was assisting also had a clear mind they weren't um, suffering from some type of mental defect or they weren't in they weren't in a position where they didn't know what they were doing. And that's different in the case here. Obviously, the young man in this case here with uh, Michelle Carter was suffering from something. And, you know, she basically preyed upon that and struck when he was very weak, in a very weak position, and kept coaxing him into doing it. So, it, it yes, it's an aiding of a suicide, but it's sort of apples and oranges. And, and finally... Um We've at least I seen I think seen a drop in uh, the flight rage and air rage incidents, you know, that we seem to be dealing with here just in the last year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that's a situation where I don't know how many people realize that when you're interfering with a flight crew, that's a felony. Yes. Yes. Uh, and the the woman in this case. Uh, I think her name was Ms. Kuzman, who was uh, sentenced on a disorderly conduct or an obstructing. Uh, that She got away lightly on that because if yeah. you do, and they, they can charge you in federal court with a felony for being disruptive on, on the plane. Uh, with her situation, 
it just wound up being a state misdemeanor, uh, Ms. Kuzman. So overall, she was treated she pretty pretty well. I mean, she got a very light sentence. Yeah, and that was, uh, from what I remember, didn't that kind of go back to uh, like a bathroom usage question? Exactly, and- yep. And, you know, the, the whole flight situation to begin with, Congress really has to step up because these planes are fitting in more and more people by making seat sizes smaller, leg room smaller. Mm-hmm. They're packing in people. So, and Congress has ultimate authority over our airways. They do. They can say right now, well, you know what? Seats are going to be this size and everybody's entitled to this much legroom. But they don't. I don't know why they don't. And as airlines pack more and more people in and overbook flights, this is going to happen more and more often. Uh, so I, hopefully Congress will act one of these days, but they haven't so far. Well, I, I can posit my theory on that you know when you got lobbyists spending so much on behalf of the airline industry to uh you know influence washington to not regulate it because if we can take an inch off of everybody's seat that adds up to you know a decent amount of space that we can add another seat in somehow some way and you know we're packing them in like rats you know and and people are are being treated like you know livestock and and human beings don't react well to that exactly true exactly true you know it was only i think it was about five or six years ago that that one airline i think it was ryanair they never did it but they proposed a new type of seat where you don't actually sit down you know like at a 90 degree angle it's more of like a standing seat so that you oh yeah put yeah that was ridiculous now thank goodness uh, they never actually did that, but that's going to happen again. Unless Congress takes action, there will be some airline five years from now, maybe three years from now, who's going to come up with the smallest seat in the world, and they'll start flying people on it. And more and more times, you're going to get people, especially if you throw in the alcohol and flight delays and babies crying and everything, we're going to see this more and more. And I think a lot of it is completely preventable by making sure airlines sure. treat people like human beings and not cattle. Counselor, always a pleasure. We appreciate your time on this Saturday evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. You have a great uh, evening. You too. Joe Tamburino, criminal defense attorney from Kaplan and Tamburino. I'm Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. How is he going to fit all of that show in? Wow. Yeah, speaking of uh, hurricanes and sports, Milwaukee Brewers were uh, the away team at their own stadium for this weekend with their series with the uh, Marlins because the Marlins have some hurricane damage from Irma that they're dealing with down in the Miami area on their stadium. So it's kind of interesting to watch that. It's Moose Miller in tonight. For Esme Murphy here on WCCO Radio, looking forward to uh, next hour. Professor Dave Schultz is going to join us, talking a little political science, politics from Hamlin University. we got so much to get to. We'll try to cram it all in here between 8 and 9 o'clock. we got to talk about uh, Steve Bannon. You know, is he going to be going after President Trump or helping him out here with regard to DACA and a few other things that seem to be starting to develop on the front of the president now working with Democrats. 
So he's working with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, or as the president calls them, Chuck and Nancy. Plus, uh, we definitely got to focus in on some interesting developments in the Mueller special counsel investigation. Facebook apparently is starting to talk with the special counsel about some of the online advertising platforms and technologies and algorithms that were being used in the fall and part of the election cycle in late 2016. So we'll talk a little bit about that and what that could mean as we work our way through the eight o'clock hour here on the Esme Murphy show on WCCO radio. It's been a really nice day today. Absolutely beautiful. And we'll, uh, keep our fingers crossed with regard to tomorrow as uh, we look at the forecast and uh, maybe some some rain activity starting to move our way the weather watcher is green which means rain is foreseen right now 69 degrees at wcco Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 